I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to TF3. I'm your host today, Nico Morales, with a TF3 bonus podcast for you. And today we have a very special guest, Stefan Bushko. He writes for ESPN Insider and ESPN on Bundesliga topics, specifically focusing on Borussia Dortmund. That's why we wanted to talk to him today. Stefan, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic to have you on. Obviously, you have your own uh, really good podcast on, on Bundesliga stuff that I think everybody uh, here that are, that is listening, uh, if you want to go ahead and check out, it's the Yellow Wall podcast. That's how I sort of came to know Stefan and, and some of his cohorts. It's a really good podcast, really funny stuff, um, and also really informative uh, Bundesliga things. But you know, we'll get into it. Obviously, you are predominantly a, a Borussia Dortmund person in, in covering what they do, and they've been you know one of the best teams in the Bundesliga this season uh, under new coach Peter Bosch. Can you describe some of the, the differences sort of in play um, between Thomas Tuchel, which obviously was it was a major figure for the club in the past couple of years, um, and their new manager, Peter Bosch? Yeah, so I guess uh, we can we can start with the gegen pressing, the counter press. Uh, I guess that's the uh, biggest change that under Thomas Tuchel, uh, who transformed Dortmund from uh, Jurgen Klopp's heavy pressing side into a possession-based team, Peter Bosch, of course, also a possession-based focused coach since he uh, yeah, tries to act after the idea of Johan Cruyff of Barcelona. I, I think everyone has heard about that. But uh, yeah, so basically what he did to to Dortmund so far this season has, has them far more extreme in the way they uh, press their op- opponents very high and far up the field and... Uh, yeah, so far in the Bundesliga, it has worked quite well for them, although uh, they currently in October have a little dip in form due to several injuries and uh, teams just also getting better in the schedule. But uh, yeah, overall, Dortmund has become a little bit more direct, even though they still enjoy the most part of possession, I think, in the Bundesliga, at least that that was the news on match day seven. I don't know if that has turned but uh, or changed, but yeah, so far Dortmund are a very uh, possession-dominant side and try to hit their opponents uh, with counter-pressing. However, the trap of that is, of course, with a high line, you can get easily exposed, and I think people who watch Dortmund in the Champions League will have seen how uh, Tottenham, for example, did that very well against Dortmund on a counter-attack. 
Yeah, I mean, that's sort of where I was just about to go. Obviously, up until recently, I think Dortmund had conceded no or very few goals in, in the Bundesliga, but the, the 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 sort of narrative surrounding Dortmund had completely changed or was definitely different uh, in the Champions League. I mean, obviously the quality of opponents is vastly different. They had faced Tottenham, who are really good this season um, in the Champions League as opposed to years past, and then obviously Real Madrid is a completely different animal. But, I mean, with this new success under Peter Bosch, was that something that was expected? Because I think um, as someone that, that sort of has always watched Dortmund from afar, I really liked the the possession the possession style that that Tuchel had sort of brought into Dortmund, and it was really um, you know innovative and fun to watch, and very similar to Pep Guardiola. Obviously, me being a Manchester City supporter, I can I can appreciate that. But you know, it was this transition and this much success so early on expected from Peter Bosch uh, coming from from Ajax? Uh, that's that's tough to answer because um, on the one hand everyone knew it was going to be a transition with a new coach and uh, losing Usman Dembele of course was a big blow for Dortmund. They did not expect Yamolenko to come in and do as well as he did. So there were a couple of question marks. On the other hand, uh, Dortmund, uh, except for Dembele, of course, kept their squad together, kept Aubameyang, for example, and uh, most of their players were healthy at the start of the season, barring, I think, Rafael Guerrero and Marco Reus, obviously also big blows. But uh, yeah, Andre Schüle and Sebastian Rode also to mention, but they're not first-teamers, so um, there's that um yeah, still, it's 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 tough to answer because a Borussia Dortmund, from their capabilities, should be at least the second best team in the league, or maybe third best if you compare them with Leipzig and, and Bayern, some somewhere in between there. And you always knew that Bayern would uh, have a little dip in form this season because their squad is getting older and Carlo Ancelotti was not doing so well. And you looked at the schedule of the Bundesliga and you always knew that uh, there are a lot of beatable teams for Dortmund uh, the very first games until like match day five or six you know there there were just so many games where you would just expect Dortmund to do well so on on one hand yes that was to be expected on the other hand uh, Dortmund simply overperformed in the in their results because uh, they of course played exhilarating attacking football right from the get-go However, um, they also conceded a lot of chances. Those did not translate into goals until match day six in the Bundesliga, where they finally, or match day five against Gladbach, where they then conceded their first goal. But you could always sense in all the games before that uh, their midfield was easily overrun and the back line too. And hence, uh, yeah, this was never going to be sustainable. And uh, yeah, the dip in form currently is, is not really surprising. Right. So, I mean, as we've sort of mentioned, the, the the difference sort of in form between the Bundesliga and the Champions League, what what do you kind of put that down to? I mean, is it purely down to the quality of opponents? You mentioned that Dortmund sort of had a bit of an easier schedule towards the beginning of the season, and they obviously overperformed, but they're still a very good team. So, I mean, even even against Apoel some of these results aren't necessarily reflective of the quality of the of the team, right? Well, I guess we can neglect the uh, 1-1 draw against Apoel because that was simply Dortmund not being at form at all. Uh, happens a lot of times in in October where um, Dortmund, that also happened last year, just have a lot of injuries and uh, they played 20... No, they played seven games in 21 days before the international break and then just, uh, yeah... After the international break, and Dortmund have a lot of players that go around the world, like Aubameyang, Pulisic, or Kagawa, who travel to other continents. 
So uh, obviously the team was always going to be a bit tired afterwards and uh, yeah, then a very straining game against Leipzig. So it was to be expected that they would not do too well in Nicosia who just set up two banks of four and uh, waited for one mistake, which eventually came. Um, however, I think the big issue for Dortmund right now is that uh, Peter Bosch's style, if you want to call it that, it's a 4 3 3 uh, very much as as the Dutch would play it, um, that it's just very easy to predict how Dortmund will line up. And uh, Pochettino showed it, uh, yeah, quite well uh, in the Champions League with Tottenham, where he uh, fielded a very passive and counter-attacking team, which is unlike Tottenham because they usually like to press and attack themselves. But Pochettino knew what was coming and uh, yeah it looked a bit like Dortmund were a bit naive in this game and ran into the open knife and uh, Zidane Zidane took a different approach and he revealed it at the post-match press conference after Real Madrid beat Dortmund 3-1 where he just said well against this Dortmund team you uh, have to keep the ball because Dortmund press so high that uh, once you play around their pressing there's just so much space to attack and uh, Real Madrid with Modric cross and uh, all these players in there, of course, have the talent and material to uh, play around uh, very aggressive pressing and uh, thus Dortmund got punished. So this more or less is a bit the story and uh, the most recent draw, the 2-2 draw away to Frankfurt uh, game, Dortmund arguably should have won, uh, where the Frankfurt coach Nico Kovac basically stifled Dortmund's uh, midfield with a basically three against three man marking scheme in the middle uh, also showed more or less the same symptoms because uh, yeah Dortmund were stifled in midfield and uh, then had to play a, a lot of long balls and uh, thus their entire concept of possession play more or less broke down and uh, yeah right now Dortmund are a bit of a crisis case of adjustments just yeah so many so many aspects to consider with injured players in the back line and uh, yeah just so many things to mention form dips of, of a couple of players and uh, yes all of the sudden Dortmund looking great at the start of the season and now not not so much anymore very uninspired to be exact well obviously you mentioned the the 4-3-3 and the and the system that Peter Bosch likes to play at Dortmund right now I had spoken to some of your co uh, cohorts in the past, Luca Girl, on my po podcast, which is a great follow for some of the people out there if you don't already follow him. Um, and he sort of mentioned how Thomas Tuchel, in an interview, had this idea uh, previous to some of the departures in his era of some of the players like Ilke Gundogan and, and, and other guys sort of linking up. Like he had these ideas of plays in his head that would sort of perpetuate under him. And obviously that never materialized because some of those players had already left by the, you know, by his second year before he really got a chance to dig into the team. The same thing, uh, sort of, not necessarily the same thing, but, but, um, a similar sort of situation seems to happen, uh, right now, especially since you're mentioning with the 4-3-3, I can't imagine how well someone like Guzman Dembele would have fit in with, you know, Dortmund being at the heart of yet again, one of the biggest transfer sagas in, uh, in the summer. 
what are what are the general feelings around Usman Dembele? Because on our own podcast uh, and with our own listeners, we had uh, some pretty heated debates regarding you know the, the the position of the player and the club and everything. I mean, what is your take on on how Usman Dembele left? Was it justified? Uh, what you know was it disrespectful in any way to the club? And and how are sort of the club feeling about it? I know that the the sporting director and some of the officials at the club really don't like the fact that he left in the way that he did. But I mean, do you have any any other say on? on on the matter no not really i mean it's it's simply unprofessional behavior if you uh skip practice in order to force a move and uh i mean usman dembele isn't the first player to do it and most likely not the last and uh you know from dembele's perspective it makes complete sense because uh you know because of that you uh force a move and get what you want but uh yeah Kamer more or less got his way because uh, its way because Dembele now of course is injured with a what is it muscle tear or something yeah. he's yeah. out for quite a while just because yeah he didn't train for such a long time and then immediately played and uh, tried to hide the fact that uh, he wasn't fully fit and now he's out for a very long time so um, yeah that sort of uh, should be a lesson to him I think none of Dortmund's players really appreciated what he did and uh, thus I guess we can say if if you want to force a move you can skip training and uh, you will have your wish granted but uh, I think there are better ways to do it. Do you feel that if he hadn't have done so, if he hadn't have skipped practice, if he hadn't have um, exhibited the unprofessional behavior that you're talking about, that the move would have gone through uh, anyways? Because obviously Barcelona were in a difficult position because they had lost Neymar and, and there's huge sums to be talked about. But at the same time, Dortmund have their own aspirations for you know the league title and, and progress within the Champions League. And obviously, Usman Dembele and, and players of his quality are, are central to those ideas. So do you feel as though maybe the club would have wanted to hold out for or next summer or at least January to make that transfer and that's why he sort of exhibited that type of behavior uh, I don't I don't even know because that was just his agent or Barcelona or whoever told him to do that um, and and so he so he did exactly that but I think uh, yeah first of all don't wear a bit blindsided and the whole thing basically trickled down with uh, M- with Neymar leaving to uh, PSG so um yeah that was that wasn't a- anything that Dortmund expected to happen uh and they were very much planning with Dembele in the squad however i'm pretty sure Dortmund would have let him go one way or another uh, for the right asking price and they set a fee and they said to Barcelona hey either you pay it or he stays here because i'm i'm pretty sure uh, the CEO Hans-Joachim Watzke said it also that uh, Dembele probably wants to play football in case he stays in Dortmund. So, uh, you know, it would have been a bit awkward, but I'm I'm pretty sure they would have overcome that situation. So, yeah, I don't I don't actually think that the the going on strike thing really made it such a big influence on, on the outcome after all it was a bit needless. As you as as you sort of mentioned, um, or as we've been talking about, you know, Dortmund sit at the heart of some of these uh, big transfer sagas season to season because they have really great players and they have the ability to develop a lot of these players. Uh, a player who has consistently been in the headlines but has never or hasn't made a move quite yet is is obviously Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Um, do you feel that? As we're talking about sort of uh, unprofessional behavior, he, you know, it seems as sort of the, the, the windows go on and the summers go on and the transfer windows come and go that he 
makes pretty obvious and public moves that he doesn't necessarily want to continue uh, his his time at Dortmund and he wants to be elsewhere. Is it what what feeling does it bring to to supporters and I guess people within the Bundesliga? The Bundesliga being one of those leagues that kind of takes uh, gets their best players picked apart. Um, that you know players are kind of always looking for a way out because there is money elsewhere. What what kind of feeling does that does that bring to the fans and and I guess Dortmund supporters in, in specific? Well, in case of Aubameyang, I think Dortmund supporters actually appreciate the honesty because uh, they don't like to be blindsided like it was with, uh, let's say, Henrik Mkhitaryan, <laughs> who, who who said that he was going to stay and then uh, yeah left. I didn't. I didn't uh, know that he. Team. I didn't know that he said he was going to stay. I thought. I yeah, as a he, Manchester City fan, it was really disappointing because I'd really enjoyed Henrik Mkhitaryan, and and I don't like to see him. I don't like Mourinho, and I don't like to see him at United. So I didn't know that that was a, a blindsided move from him. Yeah, let's let's. Not, I don't. I don't. Know. I I think that uh, even the CEO Hans Joachim Watzke was pretty blindsided by that because he did not see that coming. He was very sure that uh, he would extend his contract, but then all of a sudden. Yeah, he opted for a move to Manchester United. I mean, that <laughs> you, you can't be really blindsided by that if uh, Mino Raiola is your agent. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, but I think to get back to the topic, Pierre-Marie Aubameyang has always been quite honest with his future, but he always you know, mentioned in the same breath that he likes it at Dortmund and if the move doesn't materialize for him, it's not the end of the world. And I think uh, so it's it's fine. I mean, everyone at Dortmund knows that there's bigger clubs and, and bigger money to be earned elsewhere. That's that's just how it is. And uh, it's, it's not like Dortmund have too many other clubs to worry about that would pick their talents. I mean, there's Manchester United, maybe Manchester City, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. Like the top five, top top six, maybe top seven. Pretty the world, pretty much the clubs that everybody has to worry about. So there's not. Yeah, too many. exactly. That's that's the, that's the fate every other team in the world has. So uh, you know, Dortmund have have done quite well to uh, build an image by uh, developing talent that they now can really attract the elite talent from around the world. You know that they got Usman Dembele in the first place instead of him going to uh, Barcelona you know, right from then or the same with uh, Jaden Sancho, who, of course, uh, switched from Manchester, Manchester City's youth set up, right? Yep, yep, which was a really big loss for the, the academy because he was obviously one of the, the bigger talents. And as you're mentioning, you know, he saw better opportunities to get first-team football and he saw better opportunities to develop at Dortmund. So they definitely have uh, cultivated that image. Exactly. I mean, Dortmund brought in Emre Moore and Christian Pulisic and uh, Usman Dembele in one summer and Alexander Isak, you know, and uh, right now their their rate of, of producing these young talents and, and really developing them is quite well. Of course, for every Christian Pulisic, I would say there's an Emre Moore. That's, that has been the case in the past five or six years where Dortmund always opted for young players and uh, some, of course, uh, really go out big and others uh, just don't. I mean, uh, <laughs> there was this episode of Adnan Januzaj being at Dortmund for like <laughs> half a season as a, as a low knee. And uh, yeah, I think most people will have forgotten about him ever wearing a Dortmund shirt. But yeah, that actually happened. But as we all know, didn't quite come off. But uh, yeah, in, in general, to make my point, Dortmund really have uh, this image now, the status to acquire this 
this talent and usually they do it on the cheap and uh, this is I think the very best position any club that's not in a top seven or top eight can be in yeah and I would have to agree with that definitely and I think that their sort of um their ability to develop youth is one of the the biggest strengths in the club and maybe that's maybe transit as we transition you know the best juxtaposition between the current Dortmund squad and the current uh, state of affairs at Dortmund and, and Bayern Munich, because obviously they've, they've rehired their, um, their old coach in, in Japanks, the, the one previous to Pep Guardiola who won them the treble. Um, and I think for me, one of the weirdest things is how little the squad has changed um, in the period between obviously Japanks leaving and retiring um, and Carlo Ancelotti coming in and, and being, being sacked with, Sort of just just to talk a little bit about Bayern right now with you know Carlo Ancelotti's first season not being the most memorable uh, Bundesliga one win but still a Bundesliga win. What are some of the things that you think led to his downfall as a Bayern manager? As I've mentioned on on our podcast and and some of my analysis is that you know I think for as cliche as it may be, there are nuances and tactical nuances to every league. Um, and I think specifically one of the elements that Carlo Ancelotti never really implemented that well was his own brand of of pressing, which is I think is one of the most important things that you can do in the Bundesliga. Is that really a major factor? Am I am I hitting? somewhere close to the money or, or is it something else that you feel was a major factor in his downfall at Bayern? I actually don't think it's much of a, I mean, of course it's a tactical thing, but I don't, I mean, yes, pressing will, will, will take a part in it definitely. But overall, I think it, it's just, it's just very tough to be the success of Pep Guardiola. And uh, it's, it's, uh, I guess not much of, Ancelotti's fault because Bayern knew who they would get and uh, I think the bigger issue is just that Bayern snooze on uh, starting a transition with so many players just getting older there and uh, after so many trophies and titles you know there's a bit of a saturation of course setting in too so uh, they may not have performed at the very heights of their abilities but Following Bayern and uh, even more so Bayern bloggers who <laughs> lay it all out for me because I'm not as close as uh, as uh, you know Bayern fans looking very close at, at their own team and uh, comparing Pep Guardiola to Ancelotti's work, it's simply that the positional play um, did not work as as well as Ancelotti because he hardly ever trained that, and uh, as you know, as a Man City fan or follower. Uh, Pep Guardiola is uh, doing, you know, inch work every day on the training ground, uh, you know, shoving players around uh, one millimeter to the right, and <laughs> one to the left and one to the front. And, uh, you know, he's very, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this, but he's very anal about this. Meme. No, yeah, yeah. It's it's an accurate uh, description of what, what he does. N- Meanwhile, uh, Ancelotti is, uh, yeah, he's more lenient and says, well, guys, you all have off on Sunday and Monday and then, uh, <laughs> the, the powerful players go to the board, buy in and complain that they don't train enough and this and that. And uh, yeah, overall, Bayern just got a little bit complacent. And I guess uh, your point with your pressing is, is I guess, the result of a, a lackluster positional play that the uh, distances between the lines and, and, and between the players just weren't there anymore. The triangles broke down, hence their combination play wasn't as sharp anymore. They couldn't control their opposition with the such dom- with such dominance as they used to. And on the other hand, they wouldn't win the ball back as, as quickly 
anymore because positional play of course translates to the pressing and how high and how well you can press and how quickly you gain, regain the ball, right? Right. So with that, you know, there was a period in the Bundesliga where Bayern were so dominant that opposing coaches just sent their B team. I mean, Faye for Frankfurt did it. He just sent the freaking B team and said, <laughs> all right, we're not going to win at the Allianz Arena in, in Munich, so... Uh, we're gonna rest a couple of guys because we have uh, other fish to fry. So that that happened. Uh, just just to give everyone an idea of how dominant Bayern were, that that most teams had already given up before the first whistle. And uh, with that in mind, it makes it really really tough for sides like Dortmund to compete against that. When uh, now the big game for every other team is uh, Dortmund, where they know they can, they they smell blood and they know maybe this is the game where they can actually cause an upset you know and at some point in in this season i think uh, there was just a change in mentality and how other teams would approach a game against bayern and they finally realized hey we can get something out of this which is why bayern uh, you know drew two games from a 2-0 leading position so yeah that's just a change there is and jopankis now much uh, <laughs> praised for his first two wins against Freiburg and, and Celtic, but for Bayern, those are easy games. They're most likely going to win anywho. But we saw on this weekend, <laughs> or most people saw, I wasn't actually seeing much of it because I was traveling back from Frankfurt to Dortmund. But uh, I've I've seen in the highlights that uh, yeah Bayern did not really look all that well against Hamburg. And there's a lot of work to do for the Bavarians, which your pankers won't fix quickly anything. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Time soon. Hmm. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, being not necessarily uh, super familiar with the Bundesliga in terms of uh, watching them week in and week out, I had heard the stories of, of Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich and obviously watched a lot of them in the Champions League and rewatched a lot of their matches just to get an idea of it. But, you know, uh, it's it's interesting to hear that, that, that sort of teams were, were kind of sending their B teams. But just continuing a little bit on Bayern, you mentioned and we've been talking about Jupp Heinz's reappointment um, at Bayern Munich. For me... 
<laughs> and probably this is to your pain as well as Luca's. Uh, one of my favorite teams ever to watch was was Yapinks's, you know, treble winning Bayern team because they were so dominant and they were so aggressive and and they could do so much. It was just such an entertaining team to watch. Do you feel that he'll have success upon his return at Bayern? Because obviously there, there's there's a gap in sort of uh, his managerial uh, career there. Obviously him being retired. Um, do you feel like he'll be a success just coming back and, and taking control of this Bayern team, or is it a step? backwards as you're saying if we're talking about the complacency of Bayern Munich and them not really moving forward from this uh, maybe golden generation of, of Bayern players and Bavarian players and not necessarily Bavarian of origin but Bayern players in, in Arjen Robin and Frank Ribéry I'm surprised that these guys haven't been you know far removed from their starting positions if on the team at all so I mean do you feel like Japanks can have uh, some success there? <laughs> well, define success first of all. I mean, <laughs> it's it's really really hard to answer just because uh, I think it was Uli Hoeneß, the uh, president of Bayern Munich, or was it Karl Heinz Rummenigge, the uh, general manager or whatever he is. Uh, uh, they said at the start of the season, one of one of the two said that uh, you know things don't go well for Bayern. You know, if they're not competitive as much as they want they only win the Bundesliga so because for them one trophy definitely isn't enough that's that's the thing uh, so Bayern are still favorites to win the Bundesliga this season and uh, most likely they won't win it with quite the margin as they did in the last five years or four <laughs> um, yeah it's it's just been so many years of Bayern dominance that I actually lost track but um, yeah it's it's just been quite amazing um, if we look at Heinke's success will he improve the team that he just took over versus the team that uh, was not doing so well under Ancelotti most likely yes will Heinke's bring back Bayern Munich to the level they were on in 2013 definitely no so Going by that, uh, yeah, their success will be relative. And if you ask a Bayern fan, uh, depending who, there will be many who say this will not be a successful season or or in retrospect wasn't won because they were not doing so well in the Champions League because this is my prediction already. <laughs> Although it's, it's, it's still quite far, but I don't see Bayern making it past the quarter or semifinals. I just think there are too many teams right now that are ahead of Bayern and uh, Bayern... Yeah, they they seem like a very old team that, uh, of course, you know, if 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 the crucial months come come along, they may be informed. But chances are that too many key players are either injured or also not informed. So my prediction for Bayern is they uh, they won't be doing too well in Europe this season. Well, obviously there is another big team or sort of not necessarily big team in terms of stature, but in terms of uh, making the headlines, at least more recently over the past years, are Leipzig, um, which has, you know, garnered headlines because of their, their playing style and obviously how well they've done in the Bundesliga, just being their first season up from the, the lower divisions. And, and Luca has, has explained to me in depth sort of how, how that was able to come to fruition. With their competitive, competitiveness, uh, you know, going into this season, they're obviously only one point off of, uh, both you and Bayern, um, now, 
with Nabi Keita, someone like Nabi Keita leaving supposedly next summer, if not earlier than that, if Liverpool are in dire straits, which as the weeks go on, it looks like that is, is becoming <laughs> more. Are in dire straits. <laughs> it's becoming more and more of a reality. Um, do you think that that Leipzig can continue this sort of uh, this sort of the, the success that they've been able to to emulate in these first few seasons with major players leaving? You know, maybe Emil Forsberg leaves, maybe Timo Werner has been linked away from the Bundesliga. Obviously, he has some sort of um noise issue with his ears so maybe the Bundesliga isn't the best league for him um but you know with some of their key players leaving do you feel like they can continue the success that they've been able to to have in in these first few seasons well how the how would i know <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's that's a very much wait and see scenario for everyone right now obviously they are losing nabi Keita and that's going to hurt and uh I'm pretty sure they won't have a replacement coming up that's as good as Nabi Keita is right now. Um, so, yeah, they're going to drop in talent. The question, however, is with a Red Bull behind them financially backing the, this club, uh, the, the question mark is how Didi Mateschitz, the owner of, of uh, Red Bull, is, uh, you know, ready to spend. And, uh, you know, in, in the end, it'll obviously just come down to money. I mean, just pull out the... Uh, funding from Manchester City and we'll see in like five years where they are <laughs> so uh, it's the same with, with Leipzig um, they will probably be more able to keep on uh, hold on to their talents than Dortmund are right now which uh, should for Dortmund be a problem in uh, trying to be in the top two of the Bundesliga because in the long term I, th I see Leipzig pipping them And then we'll have a nice little race between Bayern, Leipzig and maybe Dortmund if they can sustain their success, which is nice. And uh, right now we see it in the in the Bundesliga where Dortmund and Bayern are on 20 points and Leipzig on, on 19. And uh, I think this will be a three-horse three race to come unless Dortmund drop out. <laughs> But uh, yeah, if, if any, any listeners want to see good games, I'm pretty sure tomorrow if this is out early enough on, on Wednesday there's a cup match between Leipzig and Bayern Munich and they will meet again on Saturday at the 6.30 kickoff and I'm pretty sure those are very two promising matches because Bayern Munich right now are not at the heights and uh, Leipzig on me meanwhile have won their last I don't know five or six games in a row and they've they are just on a roll and Leipzig just like Dortmund are very intense pressing team that really like to uh yeah put their opponents into chaos and this is something that Bayern don't like right now so uh yeah for everyone tune in there <laughs> um shifting the focus a little bit back to Dortmund obviously we've we've touched on how their Champions League campaign hasn't necessarily gone to plan but it's a, you know it's a very difficult group the one that they've been cast in with Tottenham Real Madrid um you know and probably the exception of Apoel Nicosia with them you know with the foregone conclusion that they might drop out of the Champions League this early into the competition and yeah maybe... there's a six six percent chance they will make the top two so I guess we can <laughs> so we it can is a, it pretty much is a foregone conclusion yeah but um, they, according to ESPN soccer power index <laughs> if, if if I may promote that for a little no, go bit, ahead. Uh, Dortmund right now yeah I, I have no idea how, how this uh, calculation comes together or stems from but doesn't matter because I like to set anyway Dortmund right now with 17% uh, poised to win the Euroleague so oh, that's okay. any consolation um, but sort of sort of with that in mind 
Um, do you feel as though if they drop out of European competition, maybe if they don't take the Europa League as seriously as other clubs might have in the past, they should. Feel- they can win it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Do you, do you feel like they? They. Uh, I mean, maybe that that's a good question. Then, do you feel like they should take the Europa League uh, into serious consideration? And if not, you know, will that aid their their quest for the, the uh, you know the the first Bundesliga title in in, in quite a few years? Well, I would say Dortmund have to really look where they are in winter. If they they are still in range to actually compete Bayern. I mean, they had a five-point advantage over Bayern, and uh, now that's gone. Now they're level on points, and uh, as the trends are moving around, Dortmund may may actually uh, you know t- tail off a little bit. So if if, if that happens, uh, Dortmund should uh, focus on the Euroleague because. Uh, for the first time in the Bundesliga, a top four finish will be a direct qualification spot. That means uh, they can avoid, um, yeah, going to a qualification or a Champions League playoff if they finish fourth. So you know, by all means, if if that's the case, that's that should be big of a big enough of a security net for Dortmund to focus on the Euro- Europa League. So I'm. Uh, I would say, considering the Europa League is the only trophy Dortmund haven't won so far in club history, they should go for that because uh, you can make far greater headlines by winning the Europa League than winning the Bundesliga. Although I think a couple of people will disagree with me on that, but uh, <laughs> I think that's, that that might be the might be the easier one for Dortmund actually than uh, competing with Bayern over 34 match days. Hmm. Well, just just to kind of bring it maybe back to the Premier League and one you know wrapping uh, final question, sort of with as we mentioned, sort of uh, jokingly, Liverpool's struggles this season. Obviously, you're very familiar with the, with their coach Jurgen Klopp. Um, <laughs> one of the observations yeah. that that I've made um, about his his sort of play style at at, uh, at Liverpool. Um, specifically in, the, in an article that I wrote for The Ringer, um, is that, you know, it's sort of similar to... We're, the defensive problems that they're facing are, are seemingly similar to the problems that they faced um, in his final year at Dortmund with, you know, some of the defenders being pulled out wide in, in difficult positions, the pressing not being as good as it should be and, and everything that goes into those sort of things. Can you relate to to a certain extent um, the form that Liverpool are facing right now? I don't know how much Liverpool you actually watch, but, you know, some of their problems that they faced uh, in, in the last year of Bruce Dortmund. Can you relate that? Is this a consistent Klopp thing? Is just is this just how he will be for the rest of his career? Or, um, you know, is this sort of an isolated incident and sort of a different thing? Well, I can't really predict uh, how Jurgen Klopp will adapt and adjust going forward, but I would certain, certainly concur on what, what you wrote for the ringer there because um, those things are very much related. And it wasn't only Klopp's last season. There were problems and struggles in in the years before too where uh, Dortmund just like Liverpool now were doing really really well against the top sides usually in the league because they could press them and uh, chase the ball and win it very high up the field and then score on the counter-attack more or less or you know on the transition rather and uh, we see we see same things again right now that Liverpool actually have quite the okay record against good sides in the Bundesliga uh, in the in the Premier League sorry and in the <laughs> Champions League so um i think that's that's still a theme but uh, we also saw what uh, Pochettino did to Liverpool on the weekend and this was uh, very much similar to what he did to Dortmund uh, this season 
where uh, I think in the first 20 minutes, uh, Tottenham had like five or six great counter-attacking op opportunities and, and scored twice on them. So, um, yeah, in, in general, summing up Jurgen Klopp's malaise is that uh, his pressing right now isn't as good as as it is supposed to be or once was as uh, Jurgen Klopp's pressing team on, you know, full force usually are. But then again, uh, it's also four years down the road and teams have learned to adjust and live with that sort of pressing or emulate it at worst. And uh, the the biggest problem of Jurgen Klopp is and, and why the transition to Thomas Tuchel did Dortmund the world of good is that his possession-based style or play or idea or whatever you want to call it it's just not it's it's just not competitive um that's that's my view that uh, the uh, triangles the positioning and and every sort of thing that you need to really have a dominant possession play and that's uh necessary if you're a favorite and liverpool often are favorites in the premier league that uh, is just not good enough and uh, hence they will yeah lose the ball in an awkward position and then uh, yeah it may often feel as though that Liverpool are dominant through 90 minutes, but just the only chance, the only giveaway, giveaway that they have is, will be turned into a goal from the opponent. And uh, this is something that happened to Dortmund a lot of times. And I I don't know, I don't watch Liverpool a lot of times, but that's just my guess what's happening. So any Liverpool fan out there, hit me up if I'm <laughs> actually talking the truth here or not. I think you are. I think I think uh, I like the the terminology that you use. That Jurgen Klopp's sort of possession system is simply not competitive. I I, re I really do like that. Um, but Stefan, thank you for coming on the front three. We really appreciate it. Um, obviously, you write for ESPN, so the people can check out some of your work there. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug? Obviously, where can the people find you? Sort of on social media is I'm assuming where they can find most of your work. Yeah, I'm not not much of a Facebook person, so people will have to find <laughs> me on Twitter. At Stefan Butzko is my Twitter handle, and I am afraid you have to look that up in the show notes because I'm not going to spell it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on. It was a, it was a real pleasure, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 